Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hej och välkomna till Vinpratarna. Det var ju några veckor sedan vi hördes och det beror på att det har varit väldigt mycket jobb och resor och allt möjligt för oss på olika fronter. Men nu är tanken att vi ska slänga ut ett gäng små pärlor här innan midsommar och sommaruppehåll. Idag blir det fokus på en spännande italiensk region som heter Emilia Romagna och inte minst då en producent som heter La Stoppa. Jag har nämligen träffat Nico Schiacitano som sedan några år tillbaka jobbar med det mesta av det mesta på La Stoppa. Han är i vingården och i källan och reser runt som ambassadör. Själva domänen ägs och drivs sedan början av 70-talet av Elena Pantaleoni. Och här fokuserar man nu mer på inhemska druvor med minimal påverkan i vinmakningen. Emilia Romagna är ju på många sätt lite förbesedd vinregion men det händer en hel del kul i området. Och La Stoppa är ju en av de producenter som verkligen går i främre ledet vad det gäller att stärka ryktet. Och därför tyckte vi att det här var en intervju som kändes väldigt kul att göra. Jag ska också säga att själva intervjun gjordes, i, gjordes utomhus på en lummig bakgård på Södermalm här i veckan. Och därför finns det, förekommer det lite ljud i bakgrunden. Det är flygplan och det är någon som står och hamrar här lite grann. Då. Men det är rätt mysigt, lite fågelkvitter också. Så, att, så kan det vara. Trevlig lyssning så hörs vi inom kort igen. Skål! First of all, uh, welcome, Nico Schiacchitano. Thank you. To, uh, <laughs> grazie. This, this, <laughs> grazie mille. Uh, just, uh, you, you're, you're here because we're going to try some wines from La Stoppa, where you work, uh, La Stoppa in Emilia-Romagna. But first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about you, yourself uh, and your way into the wine business, because obviously you're not from Italy. You're, no. <laughs> or, or, uh, a long time ago, my family did come from Italy, yeah. but no, my, my American accent definitely throws people off when I'm pouring <laughs> Italian wines. Um, I I grew up in a small place in Indiana and kind of left there immediately after high school and moved to the West Coast. And while I was studying in university, I became very interested in wine and I started kind of focusing on that. I mean, supporting yourself through university with restaurant work, is it's a very common thing. So um, after st- staying about seven years in Seattle, I decided to move to California uh, to focus more so on wine and also to work at a restaurant that... Um, 
only focuses on wines from the central and south of Italy. Mm -hmm. So my heritage being Sicilian, this was kind of like a, I want to go here, I want to learn about this. And uh, so after years of working there, my, um, my boss, she, Shelly Lindgren is her name. She's uh, my mentor, one of my best friends still. And she um, offered me a, as a gift um, the opportunity to go work harvest. Um, the, the choice was harvest or go work uh, or go to Vin Italy. And oh. all of my friends were like, don't go to Vin Italy. It's a total, uh, <laughs> it's, <a laughs> it's <mess>. chaos. <laughs> go work harvest. And um, I, she asked me where I wanted to go and I chose Sicily. And I ended up working for another producer who's, who's imported by, by Klaus here. It's uh, Ariana Occhipinti. Yeah. Uh, so I worked for her in 2011, 12 and 13. Um, and she invited me to move there in 13. And um, I think Americans take with them when, when they're in a dining experience, they take with them more the stories behind the wines and not so much the technical information. I think being a country that's founded on, on immigrants, it's, it's important to, to relate to them with things that they can, they can romanticize about. And that's, that's kind of how I ended up romanticizing about moving to, to Italy and, and learning more about production and wine. So um, Ariana, she happens to be uh, very good friends with Elena. Elena is essentially her mentor. Yeah. And so um, between be, between working with Ariana, I somehow became very good friends with with Elena at the same time. Okay. And then um, I of course got kicked out of the uh, Schengen because I didn't have a visa. Oh. <laughs> so I moved to the UK. And uh, while waiting to return, I finally had the opportunity to return. And Elena told me, don't go to Sicily. Uh, come visit me at Listopa. And Listopa is, um, if you've been there, it's um, a breathtaking place. It's the, it's in the, first, Appen uh, the first foothills in, the Appenine, uh, in our Apennine, in the Trebia River Valley. And her house is probably a 15th century castle. Oh, okay. So... Um, when I visited the first time with Ariana, we, we drove up in the winter, and I mean, every season the house looks amazing, but when you drive up in the winter and then all of a sudden you're in the vines and you see this beautiful place. Cool. When she cool. asked me to come move there, I was like, hands down, <laughs> yes, I'm coming. And when was that? That okay. was in 2014. Oh. Um, so I, I, I was working off and on there for the last four years, going between London and um, Italy. I worked at a restaurant called Noble Rot, Mm, okay. um, I was in charge of the wine there for the last year and a half, two years. And, but part of my stipulation of working there was the, the ability to continue a collaboration with um, Elena and Giulio at Listopa because mm. it's very important to me. So uh, finally, in um, about eight months ago, my husband and I moved from London and we live in a village of uh, 14 people, um, okay. about 10 minutes away from the winery. Um, in kind of a forgotten river valley in Emilia. Um, I think, I mean, as a North American, when people think of Emilia Romagna, they immediately think of sparkling wine, they think yeah. of Lambrusco, yeah. they think of Sangiovese, they think of Albana. Um, and where we are, we're in the kind of northwest corner of Emilia where um, Piemonte and Lombardia are, are bordering regions. And there's a lot more, I think, similarities in the, the winemaking and the varieties we work with uh -huh. with, with those regions. Yeah more so than with the rest of Emilia-Romagna. Because ah. um, yeah, I've understood that Emilia-Romagna, it's, it's a hard region to, to define because it's a, a lot of climates, a lot of different soils, soil types and all that. It's especially where we are in our, yeah. in our region there. Um, you can go one river valley over and you'll be twice as high in elevation and you'll look down and there will be seashells on the ground. Whereas wow. where Listopa is, it's um, a terroir that's completely different. It's uh, very old red clay, 
um, no nitrogen in the soil, very rich in iron. It's properly a terroir that's suited for making long aging wines. Mm. Um, and the estate itself has been there f- for almost 120 years at this point. And uh, the founder of Listopa kind of, after traveling to Bordeaux kind of exclusively with his father for many years, saw the potential of our terroir being a great area to make long aging wines. Mm. So in the 1890s, um, he planted, um, we, we worked with the same amount of hectares that he worked with, but he planted um, almost exclusively French varieties. Uh-huh. How, mu- uh, how many hectares do you have? So in total, we have 60 hectares of land, mm. um, but half of them are planted to vines, mm. and the other half is left to nature. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we do, of course, have a huge garden project and animals in the works and uh, trying to turning the, the winery not just into a winery, but to the farm that it was mm. at one point. Um, which was Elena's father's dream, was to have a, a family farm. So um, Giancarlo Ageno, the founder of Listopa, he planted, uh, well, when Elena's father brought the estate, there were 44 different varieties planted. <laughs> wow. So this was in the early 70s, in 1973. And just like Giancarlo, he didn't come from a winemaking background. Um, I mean, first and foremost, all of us are consumers before mm. winemakers. And... Um, and Julio, even even him being a winemaker and technically trained in winemaking, he's more of a consumer than a winemaker. And, and winemaking should be a result of experience and knowledge coming from your observations from mm. what's around you. Mm. And um, he has 38 years of winemaking experience. So his, his knowledge and his intuition is something that is just incredibly valuable. Mm. Um, so Elena's father, not a winemaker. Elena herself, not a winemaker. Uh, she owned a record store and a bookstore. Um, she traveled the world. She speaks many languages. She's one of the most well-read people I know and also um, my best friend. And her dad owned a, a printing company, uh, so they came from a uh, print background. Yeah. Uh, so I think that could be why Elena's followed this path of loving books and having a bookstore. Yeah. Um, but he he grew up passing the stopa and, and the place is, is, is epic. It is a really m- breathtaking place. And his dream, his childhood dream was to buy this, this, this property and have a, a farm with his family. Yeah. So, um, but if you tell us more about the, the last the, the estate itself, when it comes to soil type elevation and climate, yeah. uh, so it's, you... v- it's very hot where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of shocking because you can drive a hundred kilometers away to Piemonte and uh, you can be at the same elevation and the weather patterns are completely different. Uh, where we are, we're about 250 meters above sea level. Okay. Um, all red clay, like I said, um, very, very warm. But if you go 10 minutes away where I live, it's already 500 meters. It's much more calcareous soil. The tops of the hills are much more white. Um, the bottoms of the hills, of course, resemble the vineyards at La Slopa. Mm. And then if you go to where Julio lives, which is just 10 minutes further down the river, He's at 700 meters, much steeper vineyards, much more calcareous soil, so completely different wines coming from Mm, those regions. mm. So in a very small amount of space, you have a diversity of wine that is just, it's incredible. Um, And of course, being the fact that we're in a very kind of forgotten part of Emilia-Romagna, when people come, they fly to Milan and they take a train and they go directly to Bologna or they go to Modena or they go to yeah. Parma. They forget about Piacenza and they forget about this, this valley. Um, why, why do you think they do that? I mean, food. food yeah. <laughs> yeah, but why do you forget about... Uh, Piacenza? The, yeah. Uh, I mean, Colli Piacentini as, a, as an appellation, 
there are 17 different DOCs, mm. um, and most of them don't have anything to do with uh, the indigenous varieties. Ah. There's everything ranging from Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, Sparkling Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot, Pinot Noir, you, and the list goes on. So the identity for, for a winemaking region is kind of very saturated with mm. many things. So something Listopa has done in the past is worked with those varieties that were historically planted there. Giancarlo's original intentions were to make wines to mimic Bordeaux. Mm. Um, and it's only in the last 25, 30 years that we've scaled back on all the, the wines that don't make sense for A, the climate, and B, the tradition and the terroir. And we make wines that make sense for uh, mm. the identity of our estate, which is working with Barbera, Bonarda, Malvasida Candida Matica. Yes, yes. Um, but do you think that it's a, it's a problem for, for Emilia-Romagna uh, in general, that is, it is so, so uh, differentiated and, and uh, so, many, so many great varieties and all that? Is, is it, is it I, I mean, I think appellation systems can be really good for some and really bad for others. If, if for example, you're a small producer in, in Barolo and you happen to bottle within the appellation, your consortio can take your wines everywhere in the world. Yeah. But if your appellation system has 17 different DOCs, you, you could try a wine and you're like, where did this come from? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's important to, to, of course, represent the tradition and the terroir. And, and um, our DOC, I think, could benefit from focusing a bit more and not having such a, a wide range of mm -hmm. wines. Um, we fortunately have, a, there's a, a movement of like-minded farmers and there's a movement of people that are not looking to produce um, mass production industrial style wines and making wines that the, the, my neighbors make my, 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 in my village of 14 they, everyone makes their house white and their house red and yeah. they, they tend to resonate with what wines like this more so than the heavily produced um, Merlot or sparkling Sauvignon Blancs that yeah. don't make sense for them yeah. uh, so It's six and a half, really. And Emilia-Romagna is a huge, huge region. It's After coming from Sicily, I wasn't expecting to find the same breadth of diversity mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a space that's relatively small. Mm. And you go from east to west, and um, the food is completely different. Of course, very similar things throughout. Lots of fried bread, lots of cured meat, etc. But the wines make sense with the food that we make. And mm. if you go to Parma, for example, or Modena, Lambrusco, sparkling red wines from Lambrusco, cleanse your palate completely differently than our sparkling red wines that yeah. are made with Barbera. Yeah. Cool. Let's let's um, maybe try some try some wine then and see what was what because okay. we, we we have had um, the first one we're trying uh, is the Trebbiolo, Trebbiolo. right? Trebbiolo Rosso, yep. uh, which was at Sistemologet earlier this year uh, in, in this small small participated. This is our new vintage. Yeah, this is because 2015 we had in, in System Rock. Exactly. This is 2016. Yeah, you, can you tell us about this, this wine? So, in comparison to 15, very similar growing seasons. To me, I think um, Trebbiolo is a great introduction to the rest of our, our wines. In, in our region, this blend of Barbera and Bonarda is typically found in, in many versions. You make a still, You can make a sparkling, you can make a slightly sweet version, you can make a um, superiore in a riserva. And it's all kind of based off of the, the quality of the fruit and the age of the vines. Mm. And um, for us, we, we make Trebbiolo from the youngest vineyards, but also from the lowest portions of the, the vines. So yeah. the lower parts of the hills. What happens, of course, is over time, the topsoil goes to the bottom. 
the profoundity of the topsoil is great, much greater. So the the plants themselves have more, more they're more fertile soil below. So the the fruit, the, the vines can be the same age at the top and the bottom, but the fruit can be completely different just based off the fact that the the soil is completely different. So from the the low parts of the vineyards where we have bigger berries, uh, more juicy fruit, um, and of course the younger vines which are more productive. We, we choose this fruit to make kind of our, our, our everyday wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a short maceration. It's 60% Barbera, 40% Bonarda. Um, Barbera, of course, is ripe about a week before Bonarda. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, macerated in stainless steel, aged in steel, aged in a bottle for about a year, and then released when it's ready. Yeah, and um, made for quite early consumption, easy drinking. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And and you have to think it is very warm where we are. So typically these wines are, I think they show better when they're sh- served at a, a, a cellar temperature. But mm-hmm. in this wine in particular, even chilled yeah. is a good good option. Yeah. It's very, very fresh. And yeah. Very, yeah. But I, I remember my first day picking fruit with Giulio. He, um, so he's made wine at La Sopra for 38 years. And he very easily illustrated to me why we make this fresh style wine with that fruit and why with our, our Reserva Macchiona, why we make a different wine altogether. Mm-hmm. He picked a cluster of fruit from a five-year-old plant and picked a cluster of fruit from a, a much older, a 90-year-old plant. And without even, he's a man of very few words, and without even explaining <laughs> it to me, he showed me the fruit, and I was like, ah, okay, it makes it. sense. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, eat a berry. And you eat a berry from those young vine fruit, and you see exactly, you can't take that fruit and, and, and age it in wood for a very long time. And it would be a shame to take the, vine, the fruit from the 90-year-old plants who produce much less ferment them uh, shortly in steel and age that in steel, you can't make the same wine. So this could be why there are five different versions of the same blend of wines yeah. in our uh, in our region. Um, but I think where Lostopa truly succeeds is um, in the long-aging wines, mm. the Macchiona. Mm. And Macchiona's been made um, forever at Lostopa. And when I'm pouring these wines in Italy, this is the first to go. The this is the first to, to, to drink quick. Mm-hmm. And then um, people in my grandparents' generation have known Macchiona their whole lives. Yeah. And um, it's a benchmark for uh, the potential of the, the ageability and the, 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 the representation of our terroir. Yeah. I think, I mean, Tribiolo for me is like uh, the wine you, you, you drink while you actually prepare the food. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. So easy drinking. But uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Bonarda as, as a grape. I mean, how, how is it to, to, to work with that grape? So between the, the combination of the two makes sense. They're, they're, when, we're one, when we're, where one succeeds, the other fails. When one fails, the other succeeds. Mm-hmm. So the blending makes sense. So Barbera, thinner skin, very high acid, very punchy. In a lot of ways, it's our savior, and, and when it's a warm vintage, there's still great acidity in the wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bonarda, on the other hand, is a, it's a much more uh, finicky variety. It's much uh, more temperamental, mm-hmm. and it's thicker skins. Kind of all the structure and all the color comes from Bonarda. Mm-hmm. And um, Bonarda is typically cultivated where we are, and then if you go to, to Lombardia, they call it uh, Croatina when it's on the vine form, but when it's in the wine form, they call it Bonarda. And then if you're in Piemonte, they always call it Crotina. Oh. So it's um, always the same. Bonarda's always the same, but um, despite the name differences. The, yeah. the, the, the confusing thing about Bonarda for me is a lot of people will try these wines and be like, oh, I know Bonarda, it's in South America. Uh-huh. Uh, but Bonarda in South America was taken by Italians in South America, but it's Bonarda that doesn't exist anymore in Italy. Uh-huh. So genetically, completely different than Bonardas you find in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so the structure, I think, and the color comes from the Bonarda. Mm-hmm. 
whereas the acidity comes from Barbera. But do you ever do um, uh, 100% single, single grape? Uh, single It's not grape, a no. tradition for us. The tradition is to always make the, the blend. Yeah. Um, if you do go to like Valtidone, there there are people that will work more with 100% Simplonata, and other other producers outside of our region will make 100% Simplonata. Yeah. But for us, um, Barbera is our is our. If if the pig is our spirit animal in Emilia Romagna, mm -hmm. Barbera is our spirit grape. Mm. Um, so Barbera, it makes sense for us to make single bottlings of or single variety of bottlings of Barbera more so than it does with Bonata. Yeah. Especially because it's also a very finicky grape, so sometimes we won't have enough fruit that we could have that opportunity to explore that way. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, so now I think you're trying uh, Macchiona from a very... Yeah, uh, plus number two. Macchiona... 2002. 2002, okay. So, 2002... Um, was a pretty across-the-board disastrous year uh, in not just Italy, but all over the world, uh, mm. or all over Europe. Mm. Very cold, very wet, uh, very rainy. Um, and we, we, something that Listopa has been doing for many, many, many years now is this decision to not manipulate the wines to make them more ready, but to have patience and age the wines and yeah. release them when they're ready. You work organically, all right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. mm. Um, in our vineyards, uh, we're certified organic, but mm -hmm. of course, if you certify your wines organically, you can do a lot more things that are less kind of leaning on, on, on the philosophy of working organically. But in the vineyard, it's of course very important for us to, to work organically. In the cellar, um, the wines are no manipulation, so no added nothing, no, no nothing subtraction, no, 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 no. exactly. And 
filtration is a very uh, it's a, sometimes can be a very touchy subject because I I've worked in restaurants and yeah. <laughs> people will look at the wine and be like what's this yeah and for me it was shocking to go to Italy and and see people clamoring over the last bit of the bottle because that's the most kind of uh, interesting part of the wine it's also the closest to the identity of the mm-hmm. wine and also why would you work a year in the vineyard to produce something and then strip away something right at the very end uh, so, uh, so um, 2002 testament to patience and Julio's intuition and. Uh, we picked the fruit and um, we, we started picking Barbera, Bonardo, we started picking as well, and then we saw the weather was changing and so we picked everything. So Bonardo didn't necessarily get the hang time that we wanted, so it didn't have the, the sugar that we wanted going into it. And right. Julia was like, you know, it's fine. The only thing we have to do is just be patient and wait. And so we went about our business. Uh, so Macchiona is a completely different vinification, mm. much longer maceration. Uh, so up to 45, 50 days maceration on the skins. And then uh, the wine is aged in, in Botti. So they're okay. 50 hectoliter barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a blend between Barbera and Bonara. Exactly. Yeah. It's essentially the reserva of the Trebbiolo. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So the blend is different. This is 50-50. The Trebbiolo, on the other hand, is 60-40. Mm-hmm. Um, so... For being in 2000, I would never have guessed. No. 2002. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it still feels quite fresh. young and yeah. very, very fresh. And um, I mean, I, I feel very privileged and honored to be able to work with A, my best friends, but also wines like these. And when I'm pouring these wines in, in various wine fairs, like Lady, for example, some of my best, my, my winemaking heroes come and they try Macchiona from 2002 and they're like, I didn't realize you could make a reserve of wine in 2002. No. We, we declassified all of our wines and we put no faith in them. But Julio, honestly, and Elena have patience and, and, and you try the wines every year. Yeah. And then in the end, um, when they're ready, they're ready. So Macchiona was released in um, 2012. So it spent 10 years in our oh, cellar okay. before it was released. Oh, wow. So Dieci anni dopo means 10 years later. So we released it much later. Ah, oh, I see. And then we have uh, the 2005 uh, and six. Five and six. You have right now in your glass. This no, is 2005. 2005. Yeah, perfect. So I, I I grill Julio all the time and ask him what his favorite vintages are and and lots of technical information because I feel like as a representative of the winery I have to have all the answers. Mm. And he's like, Nico, Nico, don't learn too much because you'll take the, the romance <laughs> out of what you're learning about. And I'm like, yes, but people ask me how long is a maceration? Why did you leave it in wood this long? Why did you uh, leave it in bottle this long? And, and what it comes down to is there is no formula. It's, it's a matter of observation. Mm. Um, but when I do ask him his favorite vintages in the past, um, favorite growing seasons, um, 2005 and six were more on the ideal spectrum of growing seasons. He says after 2002, there hasn't been a, 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 a span of time that's been consistent enough to have like five great vintages in a row. Oh. They all are great vintages, but they're all representative of the growing season. Yeah. And I think having transparency in, in the growing season, it helps people understand the place a bit more. And of course you want to make a great wine every year, mm-hmm. but you also have to represent whether it was warm, whether it was cold, whether it was a difficult year, whether it was a uh, easier year, and 2005 and six to me are um, wines that he likes to think of as more of the classic examples of of Macchiona, the, and the potential of what the wine is. Beautiful in the 05, a really beautiful combination of sort of a perfume and uh, also a little bit of the, the darker notes, of like a licorice uh, feeling to it. Yeah, to and me, the combination the, is beautiful. These wines always have um, a very meatiness and ironness to yeah. them that 
when you are in the vineyard and you look down and, and you see the soil below you, you, you know exactly the wines. And, and you know, with the history of Listopa and the fact that we did make other varieties aside from our native varieties in the past, I've had the pleasure of trying those wines next to the current, the current wines we produce. And despite the variety, even despite who made the wine, you can still see a sense of place yeah. in the wine, regardless of it being Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot or Barbera and Bonarda. Mm. And, um, but is it always 50-50, or does that depend on, on, on the vintage as well, no? Always. No, we, I mean, with Macchione, I think it's important to be steadfast and, and, and try to make 50-50 every year. Mm. Of course, Barbera is more productive, but with that fruit, we, we vinify Barbera by itself mm. instead of changing the blend. Mm. And if, if you want to you wanna understand the wine, you have to kind of make consistently the same thing mm. and, and work the same way. And then then you can see how the wine evolves and, and reflect the vintages even more so. So by changing, if we were to take that the high-quality old vine Barbera fruit and add a little bit more into this, the acidity would be completely different. Instead, cooler vintages of wine have higher acidity. Warmer vintages of wine have, have yeah. less acidity. Yeah. And the ageability is completely different in the wines. 06, can you, what can you tell us about that vintage for the Macchiona? It was warmer than 05, but um, as dry. So... Mm. Um, again, more or less ideal. It's only probably in the last five or six years that it's been consistently very warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, climate change is real. Yeah. And I've talked to not just wine growers, but I've talked to lots of farmers alike. And um, something I think that you'll notice across the board, I'm, I'm of course, as a wine consumer, I notice across the board that some of my favorite producers don't produce anymore. No or can't produce anymore, or they have to make compromises that they, they've never had to make in the past. And um, between the two growing seasons, five and six, I would hope that in the future we have more growing seasons like that. Yeah. Um, touch wood, because <laughs> uh, we, we, we like that. Mm-hmm. Last year, it didn't rain from December until September. Wow. So wow. an incredible drought. Mm. Also, um, moving there in July, my husband and I arrive, and Elena was like, "Listen, we're going to go to the mountains. It's too warm for us. To, yeah. This is not the best introduction to to the Italian <laughs> countryside for your for your husband." <laughs> so we it was 44 degrees consistently at night, and then at, during the daytime as well, it was uh, in in the high 30s. Oh, no, sorry, the opposite: 44 during the day, 38 at night, mm. oh, wow. uh, for consistently for a month. And so what happens is the plants they they shut down they like they go into shock like they do in the winter and they they work to conserve all their energy so um, fortunately weather changed a little bit and there were more temperature fluctuations and we ended up having to pick our fruit a full month earlier than we've ever picked full month a month oh my god and we picked in uh, Ferragosto which is in Italy like a national holiday where yeah. where no one's working. So fortunately, we didn't have a huge amount of wine or grapes to pick that year because of the the, the, the heat and mm-hmm. the drought, and so we didn't have to scramble to find a ton of people. <laughs> um, but our production is about forty percent less. The quality of fruit was excellent. It's just it's it's completely different than mm-hmm. than vintages like two thousand two yeah. and two thousand five and six. Um, this year, fortunately, we've had rain, we've had snow, we've had our winter. We've had our spring, okay, and right so it's, now it's it, the thing. There's so much to do. I'm nervous being away because I know that there's so much to do at home, and um, yeah. But so far, it's looking good this year. But I mean, the, these three Macchionas really shows the ageability of the wines. Mm. I mean, all of them. I think. I feel mean, really, really fresh and, and uh, vibrant and all that. Very energetic wines. Mm. 
I think also at the same time they to me read as wines from a warm climate. Yeah, oh, but yeah, the definitely, freshness is definitely. there, and I think that's that's Barbera. Yeah. Um, also, long macerations to extract all the tannin as a kind of preservative quality, mm. but also as a to give the wine ageability. Yeah. And then the lack of filtration also, I think, has something to do with the ageability of the mm. wine as mm. well. Mm. I had people yesterday asking me like, this 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 structure is completely different. Than I was expecting from a, um, when you compare wines like this to some of our our, our more industrial counterparts in our region, mm. those wines taste like skeletons of of what they could be, mm. and um, the identity of of the growing season is lies in the, the skins of the, the fruit. So it makes sense to macerate the fruit for yeah. a long time, and it makes sense to not filter the wine yeah. in the end, because yeah. if you do, you, you're taking away the the characteristic of the variety. Yeah. But the name Macchiona, what, what what does that come from? What does it mean? Macchiona is a if if you're looking at um, our estate, uh, right in front of our house is another house called Macchiona. Oh, okay. So okay. they're they're essentially Ludi. Oh. Huh? Uh, and in the past, Macchiona would would have been where the the fruit came from, but now Macchiona comes from the the, the best selection, the oldest vines, and mm-hmm. the, the, the mm-hmm. top parts of the vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, Macchiona, like Listopa, is a very beautiful house, and Listopa itself. Uh, it, it served as a watchtower for a castle behind us down the river valley. Oh, okay. So, when it's a clear day, you can see the Dolomites, you can see the Alps, you can see the whole valley floor, you can see Milan. And wow. So, Macchiona wow. also has an incredible view. Um, but it's just it, it's the, the 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 fantasy name of the wine, yeah. but also it's our heritage. It's our it's our most important wine. Cool. And we're gonna finish off with two um, Barbera. Barberas, right? So very atypical, um, actually, in our region to vinify Barbera by itself. The tradition is always to make the blend. To make the blend, yeah. But like I said, it's a, a more consistent variety. It um, Barbera, unlike Bonarda, if it is a warm growing season or if it is a more ideal growing season, will have a surplus from these old vines. Yeah. And like I said, it would be a shame to put that put that fruit into something else and and make a, a simpler wine, or to change the, the breakdown of mm. the the blend of Macchiona. So in in good growing seasons, we'll vinify Barbera by itself. So it's, okay, so only some some vintages you do it. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and this is Barbera della Stoppa 2006. 2006. And, and then also 10. We have 10, yeah. which is mm. a completely different growing season. Yeah. So we um, Barbera has a few kind of unique characteristics. Um, it's a, like I said, our saving grace. In very warm years, um, even in warm vintages of our wines, Barbera still adds this kind of lift and also it allows us to eat our food with our wines. Mm. So in a way, Barbera vinified by itself is not traditional, but it's um, it's us kind of paying homage to something that uh, we understand as being kind of our coat of arms mm. variety. Mm. So. Very, um, very high acid. When I'm with very Julio during our during the fermentations, and he's making me taste wines out of tanks, I, I can go through to three tanks, two, three tanks, and all of a sudden my palate is I'm 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 done. I can't taste anymore. He he can try ten tanks in a row and be like, this tank reminds me of this tank from ten years ago. Yeah. And um, that's something I'm I'm learning how to, to observe <laughs> <laughs> patiently. But um, so Barbera also uniquely doesn't go through malolactic fermentation. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's it's not the case for all Barbera across the board. I think it's a combination of many things. Uh, the terroir being pretty specific to that. 
um, but it, it just has too high of acidity and too low of pH. Yeah. So the interesting thing is you can take a bucket of Bonarda and you can put it into a barrel of Barbera mm. and it'll go through malolactic fermentation mm. and the wine will change and turn into a completely different thing. But the, the, the vintage here, but you said that 06 was very, very warm and very dry. Yeah. Uh, Barbera loves the heat, loves the sun. Yeah, it, yeah, it thrives yeah. in those vintages. And 10... 10 much was, cooler. Yeah, exactly. But it was very dry. Oh, okay, it was still so dry. we, I mean, it, dry in the right parts of the season. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the, to me, the, the 2010 and 2006 are, are night and day from one another. Mm. And um, I mean, aromatically speaking, I think you can see it immediately uh, that that 2006 reads as a, a warmer vintage, whereas mm. 2010 has um, a much more kind of. Uh, elegance and restraint that 2006 doesn't have. Um, I think 2010 will be a very dangerous wine for me to keep in my house because mm-hmm. we will drink it like it's water. Uh, <laughs> but we also eat Copa like it's going out of style. So having wines like this with that is perfect. Um, very approachable right now mm, in the 10. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just lovely wine. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's basically the, the drier seasons that you actually a vintages that you do the, the single Barbera there's no rhyme or reason to oh, it okay. <laughs> but it, it typically does come from the, the warmer drier growing seasons mm-hmm. where we'll have the surplus of Barbera mm-hmm. and um, the difference in our vinification between Barbera and Macchiona is very important um, Barbera because it doesn't go through malolactic fermentation because it has a super high acidity uh, we ferment the wine uh, the same way in in, uh, in tank like Macchiona but then the wine's aged in uh, smaller vessels in, in Old Barrique. Oh. The idea of having more of the wine um, contact with the outside allows the wine to kind of evolve quicker and become more approachable. With having this, mal- this lactic acid still intact and having this high acidity, mm. we need it to be in a smaller vessel so that it evolves quicker. Oh. Macchiona, on the other hand, because it is a blend of the two, has gone through malolactic fermentation. Putting it in a giant vessel makes sense because we don't want it necessarily to over-evolve. We want it to just breathe a bit. Yeah. And um, this this um, length of time is always just depending on the quality of fruit and the growing season and, and trying the wines. And we... we we're consumers. Mm. We're during lunch. We drink everyone else's wine. <laughs> yeah. But once a week or more, we'll try all of our wines mm. just to see where they're at. And it's good to reflect on everywhere else to yeah. come back to yourself and understand yourself a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And before we we, we uh, round up, uh, what do you just in in general, Emilia Romagna in general? What would you say? What is the biggest, one of the most important things happening in, in, in the region right now and, and what do you think is the, it's the, the, the biggest obstacles right now for, for the region? Okay, obstacles first. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I lived in San Francisco for, for years and, and in California you have a, a bounty of and diversity of food that is incredible. In Emilia-Romagna, um, I, when I moved to Italy, I in my head still had this fantasy of this place having this this breadth of everything that you can find everything in Italy, all the food. But we are the uh, Emilia is like the second biggest producer of tomatoes in, in Italy, uh, but there are like two types of tomatoes oh. in Italy. So the biggest challenges I think are the, this uh, industrial aspect of, of agriculture, whether it be in wine and whether it be in food. The the most exciting things that I think are happening are the fact that there are a lot of people like myself 
uh, and other young Italians that have um, moved away from their city lives and come back to kind of establish their roots in the tradition and, and try to, to bring um, kind of a new life to something that is in danger of disappearing. Mm. Of course, I mean, Emilia Romagna, they're night and day between Romagna and between it, uh, Emilia. And every city has its own, in, its own strengths and its own weaknesses. But um, in general, I think um, something that's really exciting is the sense of community um, in, in the farming that exists there with wine and non-wine farming. Um, people listen to each other and they, they're understanding the climactic changes and trying to reflect off one another, not to make someone else's wine, but to make something or make a food product that actually makes sense where they are. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at, at La Stopa right now, for example, we, we consulted with, um, consulted with, uh, do you know Elisabetta Forodori? Yeah, yeah. Her yeah. daughter Mirta, she's, um, I'm bowing down to her. <laughs> she's a green thumb extraordinaire, master gardener, and she came and um, consulted with Elena and, and kind of looked at our soil and decided what, what vegetables we should plant for our garden. And there's a lot of um, other people doing this, trying to, trying to uh, reintegrate diversity into their, their farms. Mm. But when it comes to grape, because you, you said you, you've changed um, from like French varieties mm. like Merlot and Cabernet and something like that, to, to the indig- indigenous uh, varieties. varieties. Yeah. Is that a common thing uh, amongst other producers as well? Or, um? Yeah. I think I mean now it's it's slowly moving that way. There, mm. There's still a lot of a lot of room to grow, mm. um, but I mean, having farmers with with like decades of experience behind them, they know which varieties make sense and which don't make sense. And and John Carlo Ageno, he may have been ahead of his time at the moment, and he recognized the terroir and decided to pr- to plant Bordeaux varieties because he saw the longevity, uh, the ageability in in this type of terroir in the wines that he could produce there. So there is a long tradition of, of working with, with non-native varieties there. Yeah. So you find some really fantastic examples of wines, but for Listopa and I think a lot of other like-minded farmers and wineries, it's, it's important not to try to mimic another place. We can buy our wines, buy wines from, from producers who have a tradition and a terroir suited to, to making those wines. We, why would we try to make something to be like them when we can support them? Mm. So that, that's something I think in the natural wine world uh, that... Um, that uh, is different than the industrial wine world. We're mm-hmm. not out to compete with someone else. We're out to support our friends and, and be on the same level. Well, great. This has been super interesting. Thank you for taking the time, Nico. It was, no, it was my pleasure. talking to you. And um, yeah, have a nice rest of your trip. We're going to Norway tomorrow, I hope. Yes. So, so, yeah. yes. Good luck with that. And, yes. uh, hope Thanks for the soon. sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing here. It's been lovely. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you.